Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know the drill. Good optics are a must, whether you're running a red dot sight on your turkey gun or you're running some binos this turkey season, or if you're shopping for a new rifle scope. Vortex Optics needs to be the first place you look. They got something for everybody, whether you're wanting to get some entry-level glass or if you're wanting top-of-the-line glass and really good stuff, they got that too. They also have an unbeatable VIP warranty. If something happens to your Vortex Optic, you can send it in. They will fix it or replace it. Best warranty in the business, bar none. Head on over to MidwayUSA.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on your order of any Vortex product. Again, that's MidwayUSA.com. Go use that promo code SOUTHERN. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the show. Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist. A confidence boost before your interview. Or a last minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website MeadowCreekMounts.com and use the code SOUTHERN at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. What's up, everybody? Here we are back at it again at the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Maxwell, and I'm here with the ginger bow hunter himself who has drawn blood in 2018. Jacob, you killer. What's up? <laughs> Man, that's, that's, that's going to be the new hashtag, the ginger bow hunter. Again, Dan Johnson's not the only one. So, uh, yeah. That's right, and you got it. You got an extra digit oh, yeah, too. Yeah, that, that too. Get all ten. Get all ten fingers. But no, uh, dude, I've been awesome, yep. uh, especially after recovering the doe. Uh, was a, it was a crazy hunt and even crazier track job, and uh, just happy to recover, man. Uh, but other than that, just been freaking busy, dude. Holy cow! After that hunt, then doing this uh, 
this chance to do a, a, a black bear hunt, you know, still hunting on the ground, which was absolute fiasco. And you got you got your butt oh, handed sure. to you. It, it was it was rough. Well, yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But first, let's just hop right in. So, guys, first and foremost. This is going to be a gear podcast. Um, we're going to be talking about gear that we're using going into this fall, some things we're excited about, um, maybe talk about some things that we're worried about, uh, maybe some things that didn't work out good for us in the past, some things we might be changing. So it's going to be kind of the 2018 Southern Outdoorsman gear guide. That's what we'll call it. But first, Jacob, I want to hear about you shooting a doe at six yards on the ground. It was awesome. I'm, I'm going to say it was in self-defense because it came close. Um, <laughs> it, it was just crazy, man. Uh, just, you know, went into an area uh, that I had talked to uh, Rick Taylor about a little bit in the past. I was just trying to go in there and shoot a doe. Uh, I know there's a ton of deer in the area. And I'd seen doe uh, up and around the roads. And I thought this one area might would ha- hold some. Um, and, and went in with the intention I was going to hang a stand in this little wood lot. Um, and it really didn't work out mostly because by the time I got in there, uh, a huge rainstorm pushed in, uh, at the time that was happening, which was last Wednesday, I believe, uh, we had a bunch of, a bunch of big fronts that were pushing in and it pretty much rained every day. Um, and a lot of people weren't getting in the woods, but you know, I got tired of sitting at home and I got a little time off work. So I decided to get out there and man, try to make it happen. And, uh, you know, after sitting in the rain for 45 minutes and finding out that what you thought was rain gear uh, was not rain gear <laughs> and, re- and and turned into a <laughs> turned into a giant sponge and yeah I mean dude I've never been that wet I mean I think I, I think I think I could have a giant I think I could have jumped in a creek and gotten out and still be more dry than how wet I got that day <laughs> I mean yeah yeah so I mean, did you not know it was going to rain? They said it was a chance. And, but, again, I thought my jacket was waterproof. I mean, I had the – I mean, I was yeah. like, man, if my pants get wet, no big deal. And my mindset was I was going to hang a stand on the edge of this this corner of this, this uh, wood lot and uh, had seen a ton of sign walking in there, a uh, ton of ton – of just uh, some, you know, some fresh rubs, a uh, ton of tracks, just a ton of feeding sign. And was, you know, just going to hang my stand and kind of just, you know, do like an observation sit and just try to get a doe right there. And I mean, dude, I, I barely made it to the timber right there before I'm talking. The whole bottom fell out, and I had my camera, I had my big camera out, dude, which you know is, is not cheap by no means. And man, I, I brought some plastic bags to put it in, and I also I always carry, which is going into the gear, I always carry a small tarp with me. Uh, a lot of people think it might be overkill. I carry a tarp, guys, that it but it folds up inside of itself. It has a pocket, it folds up into. Yeah, I was about to say, explain that tarp because he's not carrying like a freaking big Home yeah. Depot tarp. This is like a like a mountaineering tarp. I yeah, guess so it's a it. it's a it's a I think it's a six by four tarp that is kind of used as I mean you can use it as a very 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 basic little shelter. I mean it's it's not really big enough to necessarily get under, but I use it as like a gear shelter. Uh, shelter. Uh, I bought it when we were going to Wyoming. As kind of like something, you know, if it was snowing or raining, like we can kind of like, you know, sit underneath. It's kind of like wrapped around. It's like a big blanket. Just kind of keep water off of us. Or, um, you know, while glassing, just kind of keep the sun off of you, whatever. Or just, you know, kind of cover your gear up. And I'd left it in my backpack all summer long. Never used it uh, while scouting. And, you know, season came around. I was like, man, you know, I'm just going to keep this in here. 
just in case I get a big rainstorm because I can wrap my camera in it. I can, you know, wrap my bag in it, whatever. My bag, my mystery wrench pack is water resistant and I've tested it, but with my camera gear in there and me not wanting to ruin it, you know, yeah, it's so, uh, you know, one <clears throat> leak, you know, could ruin that camera. But, uh, I mean, pr- but, but anyways, so, so you're going mm-hmm. in there to still hunt and you're Pretty getting much. dumped on. And, right? and what happened... I was gonna, so I was hanging. I was gonna hang my sand, and it was just raining so hard. I literally, I threw my bow down. I mean, you cannot see two hundred yards. It was raining that hard. Threw my bow down, kind of like on a somewhat elevated piece of ground, which it wasn't really much elevation. Threw my bow down. Threw my camera arm down. Threw my backpack down with my camera and mic inside of it, and then I just put that tarp around everything and put my GoPro on top to kind of weight it down. And I just, I just sat there, dude, and I mean, got freaking soaked for forty five minutes. I mean, I, I was like, maybe I should go back to the truck. I'm like, dude, I'm already wet. Like, who cares? Like, whatever. And about 30 minutes into the shower, I decided I was going to hang a stand. So, hung my stand uh, in, in a tree and got it up. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get up and, you know, get situated in it. But I was, it was still raining. And I decided, you know, I'm just going to wait until, like, you know, it pretty much stops or comes to a drizzle before I get up in there. And, uh, you know, kind of had a cha- change of heart. The second I hung it, I'm like, man, I should not have hung that stand. Because I'm like, right now, I just want to still hunt. I just want to hunt on the ground. And uh, try to make something happen, and then you know, get my gear and pack out of here once it gets dark, and that's what I did. Okay, so so you were just kind of working through there like you were last week. I think we talked a little bit last week on the podcast about how you were kind of still hunting through this area and how you bumped into some deer. And I'm guessing that that same scenario kind of played out again. Yeah. So. You know, I made a decision this year, especially after talking with Richard Fott and a couple of other people about not necessarily ground hunting, but just like staying mobile until like until you find deer sign. You know, scouting, stand on your back, scouting with your bow in your hand. Don't go scouting just to go scouting. Go scouting when you got a bow in your hand, we can go kill something. And that, that's kind of what made me think about ground hunting. And after having, you know, success that first time really doing it this year and really it's one of the first times I've ever ground hunted. Um, and having, you know, some success, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it again. And I had bumped a doe or bumped a deer. I didn't see if it was a doe or not right off the edge of this little field I was walking in on. Um, so I knew there was deer in the area. I knew this block of timber probably held some deer. And I thought, you know, with it, this, this rain, which now it was pretty, I'd call it hard drizzle. Um, I was like, you know, it's perfect conditions for stalking. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to try it. And, man, I, I hit the woods. I found a persimmon tree right there, and I just hit the woods. And I'm talking – it took me – I went 40 yards, and it took me about 30 minutes to go there. I mean, I was literally sliding my feet, I mean, six, seven inches at a time, stopping, looking around. You know, it's pretty close quarters in there. You know, it's a lot of privet hedge, and there's a bunch of briars and stuff. But, I mean, you can still see, but just looking for movement, and that's pretty much what I did – uh, until I got to the spot where I was like, you know, I'm, I want to stay in here for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, see what happens before I move forward anymore. And uh, that's pretty much when it all when it all happened. Yeah. Now, did you, like, get tucked up in a brush pile, or were you just kind of standing <laughs> on the edge of the woods, or, or what were oh, you doing? Oh, man, that's what's cr- – I already know the answer. I know right well, where you were standing. That's, well, that, but... that's what's crazy. See, I didn't even take a photo to show you. I showed Nick, and Nick couldn't believe that's where I was. And uh, Charles Charles Miller that went in with me the next day couldn't believe that's where I was standing when I shot that deer. So I walked in, and the privet kind of like opened up to like this little opening that was maybe forty yards deep. 
uh, had a couple of big mature trees that were growing in. That's what kind of kept the undergrowth from growing so much. But there's privet all on the outside of it. And I could just see a couple of deer trails coming through there. And they're all coming towards this uh, persimmon tree. And so I was like, man, you know, this this looks like a good spot just to stand and kind of wait and see what happens. And this sounds like the kind of spot that I always fantasize about finding, but I can never find. Man, well. Where I'm like, man, if I could just find this big giant persimmon tree in this lush. Oh little open field where I got perfect bow shots and there was just deer trails coming to it. Man, I'd be Well, set. see, something that I told you about and it's kind of phenomenal about <laughs> up here is, I mean, the persimmon trees I'm finding up here, because I've found quite a few in this last week, and they are big enough. If they didn't have so many limbs on them, you could climb them with a climber. Not a problem. Like, I mean, you could lock on them and no problem. I mean, they're, they're 10 to 15 inches in diameter, if not bigger, uh, some of them, uh, which is it's just pretty cool and again they're just absolutely loaded with persimmons and they were dropping at the time so just imagine mm-hmm. you know the it rains coming down also the, this block of timbers uh a mix of cedars like mature cedars and uh a couple water oaks okay really huge water huge water oaks mm-hmm. and it kind of working my way i kind of come up to this opening and there's like this one water oak in the middle of it with a bunch of branches and there's a bunch of like you know shrubbery around but you can still see pretty well so i stand up against a cedar trunk like no there's no like vegetation on it. It's like a cedar trunk that's, you know, there's no vegetation up to like 10 feet. But the trunk's pretty big. It's almost as wide as me. So I like stand up against it. And there's another smaller tree right next to me uh, that, I mean, I just stood right there in the little pocket of it. And uh, so you had like no leaf cover. You were just standing yep, up against the exactly. tree. Exactly. <laughs> oh my <Yep>. gosh. <laughs> and I had my face mask around my neck. I used like a. a, a uh, garter face mask or g- gator face mask, however you want to call it. Um, and I had my gloves on, but that that was it. Had my jacket zipped up all the way, and I just was standing there. And I started, I got my range finder. I was ranging a couple different trees, just kind of get an idea of you know if an animal was to walk in here, kind of what shot opportunities I had. And pretty much all my shot opportunities was at 25 yards or in. There was a where's one lane I could shoot up to 40 yards, which you know, off the ground, 40 yards. I mean, that's that's an awesome shot if you can get that because your shot angle should be perfect. Um, again, thinking it's broadside. But after I got done range finding, I put put my uh, my range fire back in my pocket. I just stood there and I was like, man, this you know, this looks like a spot. I'm like, you could get a stand in here and probably only get you probably only get 12, 13 feet up in the air. I don't know how well you'd be able to see though because there's so much vegetation about 10 feet up. I don't know how well you see, but when you're on the ground, I mean, I can see through pockets of the vegetation out to 40, 50 yards, just pockets, and you see movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm just standing there, and I was looking off to my right, yeah. kind of like uh, up on this little cedar, little hill right there, rises about five, six feet. And I look back to the left, and all I see, I just see movement coming right to me. I see legs. I'm like, there's a freaking deer. And, dude, right when I saw it, it, it right, when, <laughs> right when I saw it, it was at 25 yards. And, I dude, my heart's just racing. And by this time, like, when, I, when I'm still hunting, guys, I have an arrow knocked in my bow, in my, rain, in my uh, range finders in my pocket, quick access, and that I have my release. I use a thumb release that's in my either chest pocket if I'm wearing my jacket or my front pants pocket where I can quick access getting out. And while I was standing there, I already had my I already had my release in my hand, holding it with my bow in my hand. So I see the legs coming. I instantly get my bow. And I'm just like kind of like you know holding it right there. Again, just standing up against the street. And the second I saw it, I'm like crap. You know, I don't have my face mask on. I'm like this tree's you know super dark. You know, you think of a wet cedar. You know, it's pretty dark. And I'm like, man, my face is kind of freaking pale, man, compared to that freaking tree. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this ought to, I'm like, this ought to be interesting. <laughs> but the wind was perfect. Kind of 
you know, I was facing to the north. We had like a north northeast or north northwest wind, and uh, just you know, nice and steady. And the deer starts walking in, and again, there's quite a bit of noise just because of the rain. Like I, you cannot hear the deer walking; you can just see it. And uh, I'm just sitting there, dude, and it's a, I see it's a doe. I'm like, dude, like uh, heart just pounded, man. 25 yards, heart just pounded. She's like standing there, like feeding a little bit. And you know, I'm, I tell myself, I'm like, Jacob, just calm down, because guys, I, I get, I'm not gonna lie, I get pretty excited anytime I get an opportunity to be able to shoot a deer, whether it's a doe or buck, I get always pretty excited. So you know, I was able to talk myself down a little bit, get a little calmer. And, uh, <laughs> just had some patience, man. And, uh, I'll tell you what, patience will pay off. Yeah, absolutely. So shot her at six yards. She about walked yeah. over you. And, yeah. So, um, well about that. So the crazy thing was I drew on that deer three times when she was within 25 yards of me. Oh yeah. I with a, that. I thought you just drew nope. and she like started coming nope. right at you. So she was at 22 yards. She came out in the opening, but there's this branch from this oak tree that was like covering her up, and you know I, there was a couple, you know, it was like a two or three inch gap in between the branch, you know, the t- two branches and her vitals. I'm like, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like threading the needle, and I had it drawn back on her broadside. I let down. <clears throat> I see another doe start walking up behind her, and I'm like, you know, they're both pretty much the same size, you know, right at 100, 110 pounds. I'm like, you know, either one that comes out, it gives me a good shot. I'm gonna take it. Then she starts walking. <clears throat> underneath this branch, this oak, this uh, big uh, water oak branch, like coming towards me, so I draw back again, real you know, real steel, draw back again on her, and uh, she stops, turns back around, and goes back to where she was just feeding on the acorns and was sitting right there feeding. I was like, crap. So she went back when she wasn't looking. I slowly drew her back down, and I was like, man. And by that time, like I was calm. Like I was like, okay, I've already drawn this deer twice. Like she's like super relaxed, no big deal, whatever. And then she's like, she turns and starts going under that branch and coming right towards me. Right when she went under the branch where she couldn't see me, I drew her back real quick. Had my bow up. And again, I'm kind of reenacting it right now. Had my bow up. And she starts walking on this trail. And I start seeing the trail. And the trail, I now notice I'm three feet off the trail that she's coming down, going towards the cedar. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, maybe she's going to veer off. Maybe she'll veer off. And she, she's she's at 18 yards, and she's at 15 yards, and she's at 12 yards. She paused at 12 yards for a second, and I'm like, dude, she's going to keep coming. She's like, man, what is that thing? No, dude, she never looked tree. at me. I swear to God, she she literally <laughs> never looked in my direction. She was, like, looking off both sides. She gets to 12 yards, then she gets to 10 yards, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to have to, like, do something because she's going to be, like, right on top of me. And she's coming in about at a 45-degree angle to me, coming towards that, uh, that, uh, that trail because it kind of, like, wraps around in front of me. And she gets to eight yards, and I'm like, okay, when next like two steps she takes, I'm gonna shoot. And she gets it right at six yards. And I just like, in the heat of the moment, I thought I had put the pin after playing it back. I thought I had put it in between the shoulder pocket, like the front of the shoulder and the neck, and like shot straight through, kind of like you, you know you see guys do frontal shots on an elk. Turns out that's not the shot I took. I took the shot, put it right behind the shoulder with her core and two shot, and it freaking zipped through her. And that deer did not know what happened. I mean, I could have, if she took one more step, I could have poked her with a bow, like holding the, one axle, poked her with it. And, um, yeah, it, it just freaking buried it, dude. Now, I thought it went right through her and came out, but I didn't see it. And she, like, second she jumps up at six yards, and it's still raining by this time. I mean, it's, you know, there's still some noise out from the rain. She jumps up and starts running. She gets about 20 yards away, and she's, like, stumbling, dude. She's, like, all over the place, stumbling. I'm like, she's about to go down, like, right there in front of me, like, at 25 yards. She gets about 25 yards. She's behind some thick stuff. I can't get another shot. She's, like, standing there, like, wobbling. She looks around, and then she, like, starts booking it right down the privet hedge. 
and then I lost her. Uh, the second doe that was with her did not know what happened. She like walked up again and got up to 25 yards broadside. And now knowing, I, I didn't want to take more than one deer, but now knowing about the regs and everything out there, I could have shot that doe too if I wanted to. But she just stood at 25 yards, didn't know what was going on. She finally fed out, fed out of there. Um, felt good about mm-hmm. the shot though, but again, it happened so fast. Like holy crap! Like I was still trying to like kind of get over it. I mean, I was just kind of getting excited, standing up against this tree, and none of these deer saw me. And after about five minutes after that, the second doe walked off, I was like, you know, I'm going to take a couple steps. Because, I mean, it, guys, she was so close. If you were standing, if, if you drive a truck or, or a big SUV, if you were standing at the back of the, F, the vehicle, she was at the hood. That's how close she was, okay? So I took two steps forward off that tree after they kind of worked out and um, to look for blood. And I didn't see my arrow with my light knock. Took two steps out, and I look up. And down that same freaking trail those does came down, there was a buck. <clears throat> and he's coming down. I just see, le- I just see legs coming. I'm like, Shit. and I'm like, this is, um, I, I, I just tried to like real quickly. I was like, is, is he a good? Is he a, like, what I was gonna, you know, call a shooter, and <clears throat> couldn't see his body that well. But I saw his rack and I saw his main beams. And his main beams was like at like his ears width, you know, probably 13, 14 inches wide. Um, but I couldn't really tell how, you know, he didn't have like ma- like really big mass or anything. I couldn't tell how tall his tons were. But he gets he gets out and he's mm-hmm. at twenty two yards and he literally he just sees me and I'm like crap and I'm like standing there he and he's standing there he doesn't really know what's going on I still kind of have that tree behind me but I'm off the tree now and uh, <clears throat> the deer didn't know what was going on and finally after standing there for five minutes I'm like I decided like he's not a shooter and like that was after I struggled to get another arrow out of my quiver on my bow put it in my bow and then could not get my release out of my pocket it was stuck in my pocket and uh, I was like. <laughs> so, so you well, wanted to yeah. Shoot, well, I saw his but... main beans when he was walking in. I'm like, I was gonna make one of those last second decisions, like probably try to get back on him if I could, and then see what the deer looked like and decide whether or not to take the shot. But uh, after I kind of saw what he was, I'm like, you know, I'm not gonna lose sleep over that deer. No big deal. He's from what it looked like, he looked like he was a a, a healthy, good two year old, two and a half year old, and uh, which I again, I probably would have shot him in a heartbeat if he would have came in first. Again, if he would have got my blood going. Oh, I'd, yeah, I'd if he would have came in first yeah. and I, I got my blood going, dude, uh, he'd probably get shot. But anyway, he kind of ran. He ran off the other way, and I, I, you know, after that happened, I'm like, I got to get out of here. Like, I don't want to push this deer. There's probably gonna be more deer coming in here. I mean, I've had three deer come in within the last freaking ten minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm getting out of here, so I backed out, grabbed most of my stuff, got out of there, and then uh, came back that night with Nick, buddy of ours. After three hours, uh, couldn't find a little bit of blood. Where I shot her. Um, couldn't find any other blood. And finally turned all of our lights off, and I found my lighted arrow uh, under some timber. Walked over there, and you could see the arrow get pulled out of her from the broadhead side. And what I thought was when she spun, I thought I saw something. And the broadhead was actually hanging out on her backside when she spun around. Again, her, with her coring towards me, you know, the broadhead was coming out like what I thought was like behind the second last rib or whatever on the other side. And it pulled out when she was running through, and that's when she started bleeding. She bled pretty good for about 25 yards, and it just dried up and uh, backed out and came back the next morning with a dog, dude. And that was uh, that was a heck of a track job, but she she didn't go necessarily as far as I thought she was, uh, what she thought she could have gone. But uh, we found out why she didn't bleed because it turns out the broadhead exited right between the deer's legs. Okay, according to six yards, I got probably 30 inches of penetration on that deer. And the broadhead was pretty much sitting out between both of her legs. And when she ran through some stuff, it got caught and pulled out. And what was clogging her up from 
from bleeding was her actual intestines were coming out. So we found out it was a one lung, a liver, and a gut shot, is, and that's what killed the deer. But she died at 250 yards from where we'd shot her, bedded down, and I found her in a little bit of water, and the meat was still good. And the only thing that was bad was the uh, tenderloins on it. So uh, it was a, it was, it was a, yeah, just sitting up against yep. those guts. Yeah. So, well, I mean, that's good, man. That's freaking awesome that you found her. That's awesome you had that experience, and uh, that's awesome you got a dog on it. Uh, wasn't a Charles pretty appreciative of that? That I mean, he probably doesn't get many clients that pay money to have a tracking dog come. Yes, and that's one thing we talked about is he he's not a he's been doing this for three years now. He said he's only had one call before out of a couple. I think he's done sixty or eighty calls. He's only had one call for a doe. And before he got there, the guy called it off and said, "Don't worry about it." Uh, so he really did appreciate, you know, someone to go out there and really put the uh, the time into finding that doe. Instead, most guys would have just left it, which I mean, that's understandable. I mean, I mean, that's that's kind of what a lot of people think, you know. Oh, this is another doe. I'll go kill another one. Big whoop. But uh, yeah, dude, it was a good recovery. And then we packed her out, and that's kind of going into some of the gear. You know, we already talked about my little tarp I have, which I can't remember the name of the company of what tarp. But I found it on Amazon. It was like fifty, sixty bucks. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but before we jump into the gear thing, I'm just going to give like a really quick update on my Georgia situation because, uh, it is not nearly as interesting. Well, I don't know. It's kind of interesting, but I haven't shot an arrow at anything yet. But, uh, if you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, you've seen what's kind of been going on with me. I think I've published two videos of my hunts so far out there. And uh, long story short, I keep going to the back of this property, and then when I'm driving out at the front of the property next to the highway, I keep seeing a bunch of bucks crossing the road, and two really good bucks. And uh, yeah, so I'm like, why am I driving all the way back here when I can go do this? And they're in just a totally stupid spot that you wouldn't expect a buck to be, which is why they're there, because nobody's <laughs> hunting it. Um, this particular spot, they're about the farthest they could be is about 150 yards off a highway, um, and they're at, at any given time they're they're no more than 60 yards from a dirt road. I mean, they're just living like right there. And I, I went in, found some fresh rubs, um, passed on a little fawn that came and ate beneath my stand, bumped a whole bunch of deer out of there. You know, the, I was telling you, Jacob, the only thing worse than a doe blowing at you in the stand is when, is when you jump a doe on the way to the stand and she runs 50 yards blowing and then stops and just stands there. And she's in between you and your stand and you have to keep bumping her and having her blow all the way to your stand. So that's what I had to go through. Man, and, um, believe me, if she would have just hung around a little bit longer, and I could have got to within forty yards, I'd have slung an arrow at her. But that didn't work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was um, gonna say you are you're an excellent at scaring deer, man. I'm telling you what, I I'm, yeah. I, I have yeah, not had. Hold I on. specialize in terror. All right, the first deer. year I've actually had blow at me was yesterday's hunt at Nick's house. We hunted behind his house and walking out. You've never had a deer blow. No, no, so, no. I'm talking about this season. Like this season. Re- oh, relax, oh, re- relax, oh, oh, oh. man. <laughs> I was like, dude, what? 
Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm a ninja. I don't, I don't produce any scent at all, and the deer can't see me. I walk, I walk invisible. <laughs> no, but uh, which I, it feels like it feels like it after that deer didn't see me freaking standing up against this freaking tree. But um, yeah, no, but dude, the first time I had a deer blow up me so far this year was at Nick's house. We were walking in, and they didn't even smell us. They we just came up over this opening. Like he's his property six acres, and it's kind of uh, more mature timber. Uh, so it's kind of open underneath and like, you know, walking up, I mean, you can see 150 yards through it and freaking there's does spotted us dude from like 150 yards and took off and took Dang. off and took off freaking yeah. blowing. I was like, crap. But, uh, anyways. Yeah. Well, I mean, these does that I'm on, so there's like two dirt roads. Okay. Let's just say there's two dirt roads that are running parallel to each other, north and south. And there's a little strip of woods in between those two roads. And then on the uh, western side, or if you're looking, you know, north and south, the left side of those two parallel roads is some other woods. And these other woods, I'm like, okay, they're definitely, they have to be bedding there. You know, it's, there's some good bedding cover right there, a lot of edge habitat. It's roughly 200 yards away from where I'm seeing these bucks, and I've been seeing them 30 minutes after dark consistently in the same spot. And so I'm like, okay, they have to be coming from right there. So I go through the little sliver of woods in between the, the two roads. It's probably, you know, 60 yards wide at its widest. And, man, it is just full of freaking deer. I mean, I'm busting does out of there, and there's rubs in it, and I'm like, okay. But I push through it anyways, and I found some fresh rubs in the, the woods to the left of those uh, two roads. And so, honestly, at this point, I'm just kind of confused. I'm not entirely sure where these deer are coming from. Um, really my best guess right now is they probably have about four different little bedding areas, um, in this general area. And, uh, it's just kind of hard to narrow it down. There's, there's at least six different bucks that are using this general area. There's a persimmon tree out there they're going to, which is where I keep seeing them. And, you know, a handful of does. And I'm just having trouble narrowing down where they actually are. Um, but I think I've seen them four different times now i ran into another guy who's seen him which super nice guy uh talked to him exchanged some information with him you know he helped me out i helped him out um you know like you know i think we've talked about this before just like being friendly to people on public land and you know they scratch your back you scratch theirs i kind of gave him a little bit of the information i had and he gave me a little bit of information he had as far as like kind of where we've been hunting just one to help each other out but also to stay off each other so we don't screw Mm -hmm. each other up and he showed me the tree he's like man if you ever come out here and i'm not here get in that tree right there that's the meat tree you know if you're wanting to kill something you'll kill a doe out of it and sure enough that night he shot a (laughs) doe out of it um but he he had some bucks on camera pretty close to there and i think the two biggest ones are a nine and a 12 so i'm i'm chasing some pretty big bucks in georgia but it was funny because I wouldn't. I didn't say anything about the bucks. He brought it up first, and I was like, "Oh, so you've seen them too?" And I was like, "How many have you seen?" And he said, "I've seen three. And I said, "How big are they?" Uh, or I was like, "How? I mean, are they, are they pretty good?" He's like, "Yeah, man. Two of them look like they have freaking rocking chairs <laughs> on their head." I was like, "Yep, we've seen the yep. same deer." I mean, they're some some really good bucks, man. And uh, tomorrow, uh, the day that this airs, I'm just gonna punch in there, and I'm literally gonna sit the two. In between those two roads in that 60-yard mm-hmm. strip of timber, 50 yards from the highway, I'm going to sit in there, oh. dude. And uh, 
I'm I'm fairly confident there's at least some of them betting in there, and uh, that's where they're coming from. So, I mean, it's really not the spot that I picture in my head when I think about a spot where I'm going to kill a big buck, but I'm going to go yeah. hunt there. And uh, tomorrow, hopefully, y'all be uh, checking the Instagram story because at some point you're going to see a bloody arrow because I'm going to go in there tomorrow and I'm going to I'm going to whack a deer. Uh oh, Andrew's calling it so. I'm calling Andrew. it right now. I mean, y'all, y'all get ready for it. Y'all, yep. y'all get ready. It's yep, as, uh, working class. I mean, that's half the battle, man. It's confidence. You got to be yeah. confident. I'm confident that I'm going to go in there tomorrow. I'm going to fling an that's arrow. That's like me. Might yeah. be a squirrel. Might be a doe. Might be a big giant buck. But I'm flinging an arrow. Yeah, that's like, like a, me now with ground hunting, dude. I got so much confidence ground hunting. If I can get the right terrain and vegetation to do it, dude, I have utmost confidence. I can, I can. As long as the wind's not super swirly, I can have, I have confidence I can get in at least within bow distance of, of a deer. Um, yeah. At least in this area. But, dude, I mean, let, let's kind of, you know, we kind of rambled on quite a bit about, you know, our hunts and everything, which were fun, which are good, you know. Definitely had some uh, some experience that we just kind of learned on our different areas that we're hunting now. But let's kind of talk about the gear we're using to help us uh, maybe be even more efficient for what we're doing. Um, of course, mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows that we're using – Lone Wolf tree stands, but I did make the I did make the uh, comment earlier this week that, or after I shot that doe, um, that I might not be hunting out of a tree stand, dude, uh, up until our first frost, just because I think I can kill a buck off the ground too. The only problem is, you know, having a deer come super close to you when you're in a stand, you can kind of let them walk past you, and as long as the winds, the thermals aren't like super crazy, mm-hmm. you know, they might not know you're there. On the ground, it's a little different story. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. Let's uh, I'll I'll just hit you with a question right off the bat, and then you hit you hit me with it back because I just, I I just I'm real curious to to hear what you have to say about this because you're the freaking gear junkie. <laughs> um, what what piece of gear are you most excited about? You know, you got you've bought a whole bunch of new crap leading up to this season. So, what piece of gear are you the most excited about using? And it could be a piece of gear from last mm. year, something that you're just like, man, when I go out there with this thing. It's gonna be slick. It's gonna be smooth, easy. Okay. It's gonna work good. I'm excited I it. about I it. it. Dude, it's what probably my be? bow. I'm not gonna lie, dude. I love this freaking halon. What a basic dude, well, answer. No, you can't say oh bow. Do something else. Yeah, halon. It's a halon. It's awesome. <laughs> say something else. <laughs> um, man. Uh, probably another one, dude. Is I would say my boots, man. For real. I mean, this. This. I mean, I used yeah. them last year for whitetails. And, you know, I thought they worked pretty well and kind of was floating between them and my rubber boots. But I kind of get tired of my, my uh, Iron Setter uh, Rupp Masters by the end of the season just because, you know, not having the same comfort level. Uh, which I, we had a conversation on uh, Facebook today about this on the, I think it was the Running Gun page, about, you know, just different boot choices and everything. And, you know, some guys are big rubber rubber boot guys, mm-hmm. some guys are lace-ups. And personally, where I hunt, I'm not hunting necessarily any big swamp areas. So I don't, like, my only water crossings or anything would be creeks. So I, w- I wouldn't mind yeah. either. I, w- I told somebody, you know, as long as the water's not freezing cold, I, I now have the confidence I'm not going to get blisters with my boots. I might literally just cross the creek if it's like, as long as it's, you know, yeah, as long as it's thigh deep or deep or shallower, dude, and it's not like super muddy or big holes in it. Yeah, I might just walk it, dude. I mean, that's what we did for that freaking, uh, that, that dough we found. Mm-hmm. But, dude, it's probably not. It's, Being early season. Yeah, early season. That's the only early season. If not, I, I, I got a pair of waders I can pack in with me, which probably wouldn't be that big of a deal, all honesty. 
except for putting them putting them on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, probably my boots, man. I mean, I love my Loas. I will say they're out of probably ninety percent of most people's price points or their budget for what they want to pay for boots, which I don't blame them for that. Uh, actually, after I bought them, it was kind of like one of those things, like you know, uh, what was it? Uh, buy once, cry once, or whatever. But but yeah. you know, yeah. boots is one of those things that do wear out after a while, which they're still in pretty good shape. But um, you know, they're super waterproof. You know, have absolutely no issues with leaks on them. Tons of support. Um, but yeah, just love my boots, man. They're super comfortable and they make me, to me, a better hunter, especially on the ground uh, in what I do. But yes, the. Well, I mean, yeah, they make a big difference, man. Especially me and you have had some downright brutal hunts at turkey season where, where we have just covered a long ways. Where I can think right off the bat, like when me, you, and Colton went scouting that place mm-hmm. at home, uh, where we went, I think we did like eight miles that day. And. I mean, the boots make yeah. a big difference. I mean, a very big difference. Because when you get back in there, that particular parcel, you know, where there's basically one entry route, once you get back in there, you know, we were we walked the length of the property and we were in there three miles, you know. Yeah. Getting back out, it's a, the good boots make the difference between you walking the quickest way back out without stopping because your feet are just dead or, you know, you working your way back in a smart way where you're scouting on your way back. Yeah, exactly. You know? Boots are incredibly important, well, in my opinion. Well, another but, thing, ahead. just on the whole lace-ups, because I think you, you know, if it wasn't for that Western hunt, uh, when we went to, you know, for mule deer in Wyoming, I don't know if I would have bought a pair of lace-ups, just because I've had bad luck with them growing up, you know, buying, like, really cheap lace-up boots, like some Rocky boots, like, like you know, $25, $30 boots, and then not fitting well, they're not comfortable, they were hot, they were heavy, not very breathable, but guys, like, the one thing about lace-up boots versus rubbers, okay? If you're hunting a very marshy area, swamps, whatever, do rubber boots. Ha- have at it. But when you hunt in the majority of the southeast where it's not like that, I have absolutely no reason why someone would be hunting rubber boots with rubber boots. Unless you're an exact like size 11 foot and your feet fit perfectly snug, comfortable in a size 11 rubber boot. Because they, they don't make high, half sizes, at least not a company that I know of. Uh, whether it's Irish Setter, uh, Muck, or um, Lacrosse, so I'm a, I'm an in between. Are you sure? I'm, I think they make half sizes, uh, don't they? Maybe I, I need to double check. Probably I'll get probably burned on that quick on that. But my my problem is if if Jacob's wrong about that, everyone go to his personal Facebook page or Instagram page and blow up his <laughs> e- or, or his uh, messages would be like, "Hey, yeah. dummy, here's a link to a half probably. size." But anyways, I, I've I've never. <laughs> had the the same uh comfort out of rubber boot that i have with my my, my good lace-ups just because you, you the fit mm-hmm. the fit is everything to me and like arch support and all that kind of stuff which i know you can put arch supports in a, in a rubber boot i get that but mostly you know my feet when i was wearing rubber boots were always I, I, my feet sweat a lot some guys don't feet feet don't sweat so most of those people don't get blisters that bad i get blisters pretty bad uh which normally i just have to wear a really thick sock and just you know have super sweaty feet and then get really cold feet with with my yeah. with my lace ups, yeah. which I mean you've experienced this with my lace ups, dude. I mean it can be stupid cold. Like you know we did a couple hunts last year that was a super cold, and I just wear you know just a not a super heavy sock, dude. Just you know I probably call it a light to midweight sock, uh, merino wool, and been t- perfectly fine, dude. Uh, just because how breathable mm-hmm. those boots are, and you know letting that moisture out, I mean really keeps your feet warm. So that's why I really love them, man. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm like 100 percent with you on that one because, I mean like. 
probably most people who grew up deer hunting, I was I was always wearing rubber boots. I have you know the big insulated lacrosse boots, uh, mainly because they're waterproof, but also because I assumed they were a lot warmer. Which, I mean, if I'm just being 100% honest, they're not that. I mean, I don't think they're warmer because, like you said, uh, you sweat in them. And, you know, your sweat is trapped in there. There's no way for your sweat to escape or really get away from your foot. Now, there are some, like, you know, boot designs and, like, sole designs that kind of address that where they try and move moisture away from your foot to keep you warmer. Uh, I'm just not super familiar with that. But my, my issue with rubber boots was a lot like yours, and it, it was basically one I would get a lot of blisters because I was like kind of a weird size back when I was wearing rubber boots and I just didn't have anything that fit me really well um, and then also I would absolutely freeze my feet off all the time in the middle of deer season when it starts you know actually getting cold in Alabama and uh, I'm not really prepared for that kind of cold I guess with those boots man you're sitting there and by 8.30 in the morning, your feet are like cold, mm-hmm. cold. Where I mean, they're starting to ache, it hurts, and it's crap like that where, you know, I just most of the time sat through it, but, you know, there comes a point where when you're hunting a lot, you know, you can only sit through so many hours of like cold freaking feet before you start getting up and leaving. Well, you know, another thing that I want to touch on this, and then we need to move on to the, another another topic, but this probably will tick some people off. And anyone that really thinks that a a, a rubber slash neoprene boot. Now, a, a true rubber boot might be completely scent proof. You know, do your test on it. But a ne- neoprene holds sit. It, it's it's it has uh pore is porous that dude, it can hold scent. Like believe me, you rub a little, you rub uh freaking some sausage or something on there, dude, and smell it and to see what it smells like. Or just, I mean, do do anything. <laughs> Why are you rubbing? I, I'm just saying, but I mean, that's probably that's probably a bad example because that's probably too strong. But I'm saying. No, dude, but, but yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right about that. You know, you got a lot of a lot of rubber boots that ne- are mainly and neoprene, neoprene, and they sell them like, oh know? man, they're they're scent proof. Neoprene is not scent proof, dude, at all. Because I've I've smelt neoprene, like, dude, yeah. you get some. You you don't use a boot dryer, which I should have been doing back in the day, which I just bought one. Is that's another thing. Oh, guys, oh, that's probably my favorite gear list right now. Boot dryer, the Pete boot dryer is a lifesaver. Okay, uh, just kind of keep the moisture out of your boot and everything, but um. Yeah, again, yeah. you know, neoprene boots are not are not scent proof, dude. Like not at all. I mean, it, it it's porous. It allows for other scent molecules to be able to sit on there. And walking through the woods, man, it's it's I don't know. It's, I think it's a selling point that people kind of bought into. Uh, well, I mean, you're sweating it exactly. You know? But I mean, even if it's cold outside, you're still sweating mm-hmm. a little bit, whether you know it or not. And uh, but especially early season, you know, you're wearing those same boots early season. Or even, you know, mid-season when you might get some warmer temps. I mean, like, for a lot of us in the South, you know, all, all you Alabama boys and Georgia boys and Mississippi boys all know it, uh, and Florida, and, you know, anybody in the South, you know, you, we might be in mid-November, but we might be cold in the morning, but then walking out in the afternoon, it's freaking yeah, warm 70 outside. degrees. So, you, yeah, you wore those insulated boots and you're walking out at 70 degrees, your feet are just freaking sweet wetting man and you get out and like you said that neoprene is going to hold that scent so i mean that's just something to take into consideration which 
I'm sure that's stepping on somebody's toes. Oh, I, I, I already. I mean, it's yeah. just. I mean, it's no, just. I, my I already opinion. know. I mean, uh, Jordan is probably going to call us out on that. This guy, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, Jordan doesn't listen to the podcast all the time, but he'll probably find out about it and he'll probably call us out on it because he believes it. Which I mean, that's fine. I mean, if he gives you the confidence, that's fine. But it's just one of those things that you know yeah. I've kind of looked over and I've, I haven't had any issues with it. Uh, but anyways, let's go. To, let's go to some other yeah. gear lists. Uh, one thing I want to talk about real quick is. Uh, asking you, you know, what is something kind of going forward that is something maybe new that you're trying out gear-wise that you think is going to really help you out for this year? Well, I just ordered a No, you didn't? Are you yes, freaking I did. serious? Oh, dude, yeah, I'm so... Dude. I wasn't going to tell you until uh, we got on the show, but yeah, I just ordered a tethered I freaking... Bandits. I hate you so... Greg, Greg, we're... Greg, we're going to have to talk, okay? I, I hate you, Adrian. I'm so jealous right now. <laughs> oh, yes, sir, dude. Yeah, I mean, the other day... Um, well, what really happened was last time I hunted in Georgia, which, I mean, man, I like hanging stands. Like, I like lock-ons and everything. But carrying all that camera gear in and all that stuff, and uh, also like this kind of aggressive approach that me and you have started using this year, where we're doing like a lot of ground hunting, I'm wanting to go into areas and ground hunt and like just poke in there and if just not set up until I find a good spot. And doing that with a tree stand sometimes sucks in the early season, like straight up sucks. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but, dude, it's like walking into some of these areas this year uh, with the stand on my back. I mean, it's just brutal early season. I mean, it's hot, and it would be the same if it was a climber mm-hmm. or anything like that. But I've never stepped foot on this property, so I'm walking way in, and I'm not setting up and hunting until I find the sign I'm looking for. And after a few hanging hunts in Georgia like that, I was like, man, I just I can't do this. Like. We've done a bunch of hunts like that, and, like, with my schedule, it's like, I'm up all day, like, doing stuff. I'm going hunting in the evening, coming home, editing at night. It's just, like, not getting enough sleep, and then going back out there and doing it all again. It just freaking wore me down, dude. And finally, um, you know, of course, all that made me want to get a saddle, because it's so much lighter. But then, also, what uh, Sean Clarkson was telling you about, you know, yeah, I mean, you basically can't fall out of it. So that's another thing that really pushed me towards it is the fact that they're extremely safe, and uh, I don't have to worry as much about falling twenty feet out of a tree and yep, breaking my neck. Exactly. No, dude, I'm jealous, man. Holy cow! Yeah, and that—that's well, that, the—that's <laughs> the number one reason, dude. I have not been using a tree stand really this this season so far. Is um, I cannot go through the woods right now and be quiet with a stand just like walking through i mean this is wide open timber dude a lot of these places like i'm still hunting but it's thick and nasty dude which is where i'm finding the deer and where i'm getting yeah. shots but also you know one thing that i think you know a saddle would really come in handy is if you are doing like what you're talking about like kind of like ground hunting your way into you find a good spot and if you really do find some really good sign you want to get up off the ground you know as long as you got your sticks with you or if you're using you know the wild edge steps or the silent approach steps uh, and you have some with you in your backpack, you can just throw them up and get up the tree, you know, 12, 15, 20 feet, ever how high mm-hmm. you need to go and be good to go. Um, yeah. So that, that's awesome. That's awesome, dude. And save a lot of weight. And the cool thing yeah. is, like, I don't mind shooting, you know, I, I shot that first day with my backpack on my back and didn't even notice it was all on me. But, like, trying to shoot with a tree sting on your back, dude, that's pretty freaking hard. It's hard. It's hard. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Which, you know, they each have their place. They're both tools in my toolbox, the saddle and the tree stand. So, you know, I got some more dedicated spots where I'm going to be going in and I'm going to go ahead and probably carry the tree stand just because I think the tree stand will be more conducive to that spot. That might change when I get the saddle and I start using it and understanding how to use it and everything, but as of right now, I definitely have dedicated spots where I'm like, okay, a, a tree stand would definitely work better here. And uh, by the way, my setup for that is going to be uh, four lone wolf sticks, like I always carry in, you know, pretty lightweight, um, minus the stand, you know, that cuts half the weight out. And then... Um, for the platform, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do for the platform. Uh, I don't want to buy the tethered Predator platform because it's like $170 and I don't have that much money. Um, so I, I'm not really sure what I want to do for a platform, but I, I definitely don't want to cheap out and get something like really crappy that's like tiny and uncomfortable. So what right now what it's looking like I'm going to do is get two Wild Edge steps. Uh, they're 20 bucks a piece. And uh, y'all can look them up and see what they're like, but I think they'll make like a, a decent little platform. You know, I'll, I'll have the lone wolf stick, and the last step on the lone wolf stick, I think I'm gonna put uh, two of those wild edge steps next to it. So I have like a nice little platform right there that kind of wraps around the tree a little bit, that I'll be able to kind of maneuver around when I'm in the saddle, and uh, hopefully be able to get 360 degrees of shooting. But we'll see. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be a learning experience for sure. It's probably not going to be here until basically a month after this airs so, with uh, with tethers, you know, how they're kind of delayed. And by the way, I was looking at the uh, mm -hmm. the Arrow Hunter versus the, the tethered saddle. And, I mean, they seem pretty similar. I'm not super up to date on all my saddle stuff. but Looks-wise, uh, they look... The reason I went with... That, I mean, yeah, they look the same. The reason I went with Tethered is because they offered free shipping, and they also offer a freebie. So when you buy the saddle, you get something for free with it, like an accessory. So I went with them, and I'm pretty glad I did. Uh, their website's pretty cool. They seem like they got some really high-quality stuff. I've heard good things. They're just struggling a little bit with their manufacturer, which, you know, it's not really their fault. But I'll be happy when I get it, which will probably be a month from what I'm awesome well dude that's that's pretty cool that's uh, definitely something on my gear list in the future to look at again you know I told you I'm looking at the uh, Kestrel Arrow Hunter along with the uh, the Mantis and, and trying to you know weigh mm -hmm. options and everything and you know I've heard good things about both uh, yeah. you know Sean uh, Clarkson he was telling me when I was talking to him earlier this week about uh, he got the uh, Arrow Hunter, and he said the customer service is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so he highly recommended that. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, I got a little while before I'm going to look to buy anything because again, you know, now one thing I was going to ask you: how are you going to how are you looking to pack in your sticks? Because that's the one downside I think is if I was going to go to a full saddle setup, I'm not using sticks. I'm not using. Yeah. So that I was about to address that is uh, my ultimate setup would be like ultimate lightweight going a far distance or going into a new area. My setup ideally would be like uh, enough wild edge steps to get me up 12 or so, or not 12, like more like 16 to 20 feet up in a tree plus the saddle. Um, but I don't have, you know, those wild edge steps are 20 bucks a piece. And you know it's just a step, and so it. I mean, it takes quite a few of them to get 
Un- 20 feet up the tree. And I think well, the setup... I was say, unless huh? you use the suader and the nader, or uh, the... Um, oh, my gosh. The aider from CMI that Matthew... I can't remember Matthew's last name. Uh, he posted about you get a five-step aider that he says he can use three steps to get up to like 22 feet or something like that. So you might you might, might want to look Dang. at yeah you might want to look good. at that dude it's pretty sweet pretty sweet setup but anyways yeah I mean yeah I I would definitely like those wild edge steps the this the like lone wolf sticks are gonna work great and they're easy to use and I got the rope mods on them and I'm excited about using them and for me they're not that difficult to bring in because I can strap them to my backpack pretty easily either sideways where they're like poking out on either side of me or um, like strap them parallel to me where they're just you know not in the way they're not going to be bumping trees as I'm walking they're strapped like up and down the pack rather than you know across it um okay but yeah we'll see I'm going to carry those sticks in hopefully get two of those wild edge steps and be hunting out of a saddle by the time we go to Ooh, oh, oh that was a bleep guys you heard a bleep because Andrew just <laughs> By the time we go to an unspecified Andrew, location yeah. in the southeast with the Southern Ground crew, where we're gonna go, Andrew shoot just bleep that. Okay, so that, that's what you heard. You heard that. Yep, I'm a. Uh, I'm writing down that time. <laughs> anyway, okay. But okay, let, let's. Yep. So that was uh, not a cuss word. That was the name of a wildlife manager. Why, why are you area. gonna say that, man? What are you doing? <laughs> Okay, well, hey, let, let's keep going, man, because we really haven't gone over <laughs> many uh, gear lists. Real quick, dude, let's kind of do a rapid fire. Uh, what packs are you using right now? What boots are you using? And um, let's let's talk about kind of like your knife setup. What are you doing to try and get the deer out of the woods? Okay, pack setup is a Field and Stream Powderhorn XL. Uh, I'm not sure if they still make it, but they if they don't, they have packs just like it. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty decent pack, pretty affordable. I think it's, you know, right around $100. I got it as a gift. Um, pros and cons, it's got a lot of space to it. Uh, it's got several straps on the outside where you can hook a bow to. So if you don't want to carry your bow, uh, you could hook it onto that. Um, downsides to it, I would definitely say, are just kind of the general shape of it, where it's like very, I mean, just <laughs> this is gonna sound weird, but like backpacky, it's just like a bag. Uh, it doesn't carry heavy weights very well, and it, it's definitely not ideal for my style of hunting with the tree stand. Hopefully, that changes when I get the saddle. Um, but overall, you know, it's a good backpack. It served me well, and I, for the price, it'd be kind of hard to beat. So, you know, if you have less than $150 to spend on a backpack, Field and Stream Powderhorn XL, I'd definitely check it out. Uh, or something similar to it. My footwear, are, uh, they're going to be Irish Setter 9-inch Havoc boots. I got them two years ago. They've held up pretty nicely over those two years. They're advertised as a waterproof, waterproof boot, and uh, waterproof is definitely a strong word when referring to them. I, I wouldn't say they're waterproof at all. They're definitely water-resistant, uh, to a point, but that didn't, you know, that water resistant air quotes didn't last too terribly long because, uh, walking through wet grass, you know, I'd get wet sometimes, but especially crossing creeks, but a, a little bit of snow seal definitely went a long way towards helping that. 
and uh, my only gripe with them is the tread on them. Um, they're really an upland bird hunting boot, and I guess they thought that upland bird hunters don't need like a lot of tread, which I was just buying them for the ankle support, and I just kind of liked the way they were put together and they were comfortable. Uh, but the tread just wasn't aggressive, and the tread is not held up very well. Now, given I've worn these boots for work, as well as hunting and scouting and everything, so they did get a little bit more wear for that because they were like my everyday boot that I wore for everything. But it's been two years now, and they are daggum near bald. I mean, you've seen them, Jacob. They're <laughs> they're pretty slick. Yeah. Um, I bust my butt quite often in the woods while wearing them, so. That's definitely a downside. Um, would I recommend them? No. I like them, but for you know 200 some odd dollars that I paid for them, I definitely think you could find a better boot. And at this point, after having that boot and after seeing your boots, I would definitely want to you know just cough up a little bit more money and get a nicer set of boots like mm-hmm. what you have. Um, knife setup. Knife setup, um, kind of the same thing I've been running for a few years now. I run a custom Damascus blade knife that I bought at a gun show several years back from a custom Ford, a th- uh, Forge, I mean. Uh, I think that guy's name, uh, ooh, what was it? Gray Wolf Knives. I think that was it. Uh, I think he's out of like Pennsylvania or something like that. Uh, I met him at a gun show. Seemed like he had some high quality stuff. I bought two knives from him. One of them's Damascus steel. One of them is like made out of a file. They're like a horse rasp. Um, really high quality knives, dude. I, I love them. They've held up for a long time. Easy to sharpen. They stay very sharp. Uh, they'll stay sharp through pretty much a whole deer. And uh, that's pretty much what I'm going to be using. Other than that, I've got a Bubba blade that I was gifted two years ago. The Bubba blade, um, pretty good knife. I mean, I got no gripes with it again. Um, one thing I, I do really like about the Bubba Blade is the uh, they kind of advertise that, that texture they got on the handle. It gets kind of sticky when it's wet, which not like gross sticky, but it, it just grips better when it's wet. It's kind of hard to explain. You just have to feel it. Um, the comfortable, I mean, the, the handle is very, very comfortable in the hand. Uh, slippage really has never been an issue. I've had it for probably a year or two now. Uh, it's good for pretty much everything I've used it for, from fish to deer to, you know, maybe small game. I think I've skinned small game with it at some point. And uh, it's pretty easy to sharpen. Just hit it, you know, if you really need to, you can hit it on a whetstone or just a leather belt is what I use most of the time. Thing stays pretty sharp and gets gets the job done for everything I need it to do. Um, I would recommend it if you want to spend that much on a fillet knife. Um, you know, it's got a lot of bells and whistles to it, but at the end of the day, Walmart sells a fillet knife for like eight bucks. That's pretty dang good. Uh, it's pretty hard to beat that. Bubba blade, you know, you can make some arguments like, oh, it'll last longer. Oh, the, the handle's better. It's just a a matter of how much you want to spend on a fillet knife. Uh, if I were going to go buy one, I would probably not buy the Bubba blade just because they're like 60 bucks. I would just go buy the cheap fillet knife, but... You know, to each their own. Whatever works for you. Uh, can't go wrong with either one. But that's kind of those are my answer for the three things. So uh, Jacob, you answered the same question. So about your pack, and you've already done boots. So don't say anything about your boots. And uh, 
I think you're using like a hat. Man, you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're ruining you're reason, Yeah, you're taking away my thunder, dude. Uh, if, yeah. Yeah. Got to yeah, see your thunder, man. Man, you sure do know the definition of uh, a rapid fire. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, yeah. guys. So, backpack I'm using a Mystery Ranch Scapegoat 25. It's uh, one of their smaller packs. Um, it, it definitely is a small day pack. Like, it's pretty small. Um, exact cubic inches. I don't think it's 20, it's not 2,500 cubic inches by no means. Um, but it's definitely a good day pack. It's fine for, uh, if, if you're, you're doing some ground hunting, it's got plenty of storage for, you know, all your small, whether you get your knife on you, uh, you know, knife, binos, extra ammo, uh, any kind of call, stuff like that, you know, extra gloves. It, uh, has a padded waist belt that comes in extremely handy it's got a very unique uh design for how the straps um tighten which i really like because it gets a really snug fit on you uh one thing i like about the pack is it's relatively lightweight it's got a rigid hard um internal uh what do you call that um man i'm losing i'm I'm forgetting all my topics or all my freaking terms um back support i guess you call it back support anyways it's got it's a rigid back support on it which really helps with load carrying it's not meant for load carrying by no means uh even after talking to mystery ranch they did not recommend it for packing a deer out even though i just packed out a whole doe with it uh, without an issue um it didn't fit all the quarters it fit uh two hams and one shoulder in the back straps in it and then i had to carry one shoulder over my back uh, which wasn't that big of a deal, but uh, you know, would I recommend it? Um, if you found it on sale, I would. I wouldn't pay full price for it. Full price, I think, it's like a little over two hundred dollars. I think I got it for like one hundred and sixty. Um, it, it's definitely it's water resistant, which is nice. Again, and all the storage, but it's a really small pack. It's a little bit smaller than what I wanted. Uh, you can't really you can't strap a bow to it. You can't strap six to it. It's it's a little small for that. Um, I would definitely recommend maybe looking at the Scapegoat Thirty Five if you wanted a little more. Um, capabilities of strapping a bow or sticks to uh that's probably the, the route that i would go um anyways and then of course mm-hmm. well just touch my boots dude i freaking love my boots freaking waterproof lace-ups dude they're awesome that lower tibet gtx's are awesome um the knife selection i have i just started using last year a havlon piranha which guys if if you are kind of like me and you know grip using like a buck knife or whatever great product whatever um i was just tired of taking in a sharpener with me and trying to like sharpen my knife while working on a deer it was always a pain in the butt and my, i never felt like i get my knife as sharp as i really wanted it to at least with you know some of your basic sharpeners um i bought one of those havlon piranhas last year for a mule deer trip and absolutely love this knife uh, you know it's using the disposable blades uh it came with i think 12 blades and i can normally do at least normally two deer with one blade a piece uh which is super handy and it's very lightweight fits good in the hand it's very maneuverable the only downside to it it is so sharp if you nick yourself you will be bleeding for a very long time um when we were in Wyoming, i actually nicked my hand and it was so sharp i didn't notice i hit my hand until after the fact and couldn't stop yeah, and couldn't really stop that. the bleeding for a very while it kind of bled through blood through a shirt or something i wrapped it in uh I mean, it's basically it, a yeah, it, it really blade. is. I mean, it, it's extremely and see, sharp. It, it's awesome, but guys. I mean, you will you can skin a deer so fast and just take meat off so quickly with it. I love it for deboning meat because uh, again, my, my mindset, guys, and another part of kind of which I asked you, Andrew, and you kind of answered in full terms about like how you plan on getting a deer out. I'm I'm using game bags this year, so oh, yeah. I bought game bags 
Yeah, me too. Bye. Me too. To clarify on that, I'm Dude, definitely. Now, you see, you're taking my thunder, man. You missed your chance. <laughs> no, but so I'm using game bags this year, guys. Which if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, you saw that I packed out a whole dough with my backpack set up, uh, putting you know all my meat in my game bags. And a lot of people in the southeast, you don't know what game bags are. It's really just to protect your meat while you're transporting it from the field back to the vehicle. Uh, it's very similar to cheesecloth. Sure, which I never. Um. It's like high grade. Which I never knew what cheesecloth was ever until I heard someone explain that with a game bag. But guys, this thing—it's a cloth that it, it protects your meat from especially flies and dirt. It won't protect it really from mud by no means, but like dirt and stuff like that and insects is what it really protects it from, which is nice. Uh, it's a lot more easy to grab and absorbs a little bit of blood, but it lets it kind of breathe, lets the meat cool down too. But it just makes it easy. You get that protective like rind on if, the outside it, where. The outside of the meat like gets a little. How how would you describe it? it I, I call it crispy, but that's only if you hang it. I say when I got my deer out, it was raining, so that meat was wet. Period. And I, but oh, the one yeah, downside, yeah. one downside to this, which I learned and I will definitely do, I keep a couple plastic bags, like trash bags, like thirty gallon trash bags in my backpack now. Next time I quarter a deer out, I'm lining my backpack with that trash bag because it will bleed through the game bags into your bag. And that's that's what happened in my bag, and I had to freaking take peroxide to it and uh, clean it out, which is fine now. But that's just what I'm doing, guys. I've talked to a lot of other people. Like, I'm tired of dragging deer. If you hunt public land and you cannot get a four-wheeler exactly to where you kill the deer, I'm not dragging my deer 100 yards at all. I'm not dragging it 50 yards. I'm cutting it up. Another thing right now, guys, I don't have a truck up here, so I'm actually hunting out of a, out of a, of a um, sedan. Uh, small car, which is like my work car, by the way, uh, which is coming pretty handy, uh, being hunting undercover. But anyways, but like, <laughs> but, no, but in all honesty, I cannot take a covert. Well, operations. I cannot take a whole deer out, and I'm not going to be like the hunting public and like Aaron, Warburton, and, and strap the deer to the hood or strap the deer to the roof. Uh, so that's not happening. So I got a quarter up anyways. I carry a big cooler with me. I put it in the cooler. So that, that's what I do, and it makes it very easy to handle, easy to get out of the woods, and you're not killing yourself. It takes me fifth. It takes me at the very most 20 minutes to break down a whole deer. Back straps, shoulders, everything. Skin it. Good to go. Take the neck. Uh, take the neck roast out and be good to go. Um, so that's that's huge. Now, Andrew, let's kind of touch on real quick. Um, talk about your bow setup again. This is quickly. So I, you go over some details, but you know, a couple yeah. minutes. Go over your bow set, go over your, uh, your broadhead, and kind of like what's your whole system you're using for that. Okay, uh, bow setup. I got a Hoyt Factor 30. Uh, love it. 30-inch uh, axle-to-axle bow. Um, kind of not not big, not small, but also not too small. Kind of perfect size for me. I'm running an IQ Pro Hunter on it, which is a three-pin sight, the bottom pin being a floater, so I can adjust it from, in my case, 40 down to, I don't know, probably when 80 did, or 90. Which when I, when I did you really get that? Go. I've had that Dude, I did not years. know that thing floated. What the heck, man? Yeah, dude, that bottom pin dropped. What are we doing? Dude. Okay, I'm sorry. I, that's what I shoot at oh, 60 Oh, okay, I'm so confused with. now. Okay, you keep going. I, I just... Again, <laughs> man, you screwed up my lightning round, bro. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I sh- the reason I started shooting that IQ Pro Hunter is because it's an IQ bow sight and it has that retina lock on it. Uh, that retina lock, I wrote an article on this on the southernoutdoorsman.com. Go check it out if you're interested. It is our most popular article because apparently people are pretty interested in having no peep sight. But that retina lock, if you want it to, can actually take the place of a peep sight. Uh, a peep sight is basically a glorified anchor point 
uh, like a kisser button or something. It gives you a point of reference to look at your site through. Um, when you have an IQ both site, that retina lock, uh, they kind of advertise it as, you know, it keeps you from torquing your bow left or right, which it does. It does keep you from torquing your bow, and it makes you more accurate. But um, it can also act as uh, kind of a point of reference for you, so you don't need a peep sight. The advantages to not having a peep sight are better light transmission, and your peep sight is not going to twist sideways on you when you have a buck in front of you. So I've definitely had that problem before. As soon as I figured out I could go peepless, I jumped on it, bought the IQ sight, sighted it in, learned how to use it, and I will probably never shoot a peep sight again for the rest of my life. Uh, I just absolutely love not having to worry about a peep sight. But um, that kind of goes over my sight and everything. Uh, arrows, I'm shooting Carbon Express Maxima Red micro diameters. Um, they're just a smaller arrow. I think they're a little bit heavier. Uh, they're supposed to get better penetration, less wind drift, but you know, I just like the micro diameters because they usually do get better penetration. That's what's most important to me. And uh, up front, I'm shooting a Solid Legend Broadhead, super pricey broadhead, super regret buying them. Uh, not worth it, in my opinion. They're like $120 for three broadheads. And yeah, they're made out of super high-quality steel, but if you let it get dull, it's incredibly hard to get it sharp again. But I'm going to kill a deer with it because I spent a bunch of money on them. So <laughs> I would suggest going with the, J uh, the, the broadhead that Jacob got, uh, which is an Exodus. Just take my thunder. That's kind of my bow setup. I, I have to steal your thunder. I can't help but steal Now, what thunder. kind of release do you shoot with? <laughs> uh, the release is a... You don't have to say the name. I'm just like, what design? <sighs> okay, it's just a regular wrist release. Uh, it's a hinge. It's not a spring. So, you know, you lock it on there, and you touch it, and it just flips open. It's not like you, like, press it open, where it, like, slowly opens the more you press down, like a spring release. It's like a hinge. And I definitely like that because, you know, you can get drawn back, you can put your finger on the release and just slowly apply pressure and there's no creep at all. And at some point it just cool. breaks and, you know, it shoots. So that's what I'm using. Um, formerly last year I shot a thumb release and I lost it. So I got a regular release again, so I wouldn't lose it. <laughs> but, okay, you go over your okay, bow Okay, so my bow uh, is a Matthews Halon 6. Uh, absolutely love this bow. Um, not to try to be a Matthews fanboy or anything, because I know there's probably some people that are anti-Matthews. That's fine. Shoot whatever you like. But uh, definitely by far the quietest and fastest bow I've ever shot. I haven't shot the Triax yet, so I can't attest to how that bow shoots or the uh, Halon 32. But... Definitely much faster than my Matthews Chill R, which I thought was a pretty fast bow, and much, much quieter, which is really, really nice. Um, so absolutely love that bow, you know, 30-inch axle-axle. Um, really don't care that much about speed as long as it gets fast enough to the point where I, I you know, just hold low on the doe, she drops into it, you're all, you're all good. Um, I shoot, uh, I've got a CBE sight, it's a five-pin sight, which five pins is definitely overkill. Uh, I never use more than three pins. I might put a fourth pin out that 60 yards just as a target site, but I never use that fifth pin. Um, of course, a QAD error rest. I've had that rest for going on five years now. It's still working flawlessly. I've never had it fail. Absolutely love uh, that that uh, rest. Um, I don't shoot a state. That's what I, I see. I don't shoot a stabilizer, guys. A lot of guys shoot stabilizers, and I think a lot of people do it just for the cool factor. I want to look cool, so I want to put a stabilizer on there. Some people do have to put it on there because of the counterbalance of the bow. I've never had issues 
with the last two bows I've had, which uh, previous bow to this one was a Matthews Chill Art, perfectly balanced. I never had to use the stabilizer again. Never had any issues with it tilting, leaning side to side, or le- or really falling forward too bad, or falling backwards too bad. Mostly falling backwards is you know what you don't necessarily want. Um, but anyways, Matt, the the Halon is exactly the same. Very well balanced bow, at least with my setup. Uh, I use the Matthews Quiver, uh, the six arrow quiver on there. Uh, I need to practice more with it because the last two deer I shot actually had the quiver on there, and I had no issue shooting with the quiver on. But probably need to practice a little bit more with the quiver on. Um, I shoot the Easton Axis arrows, which is an extremely popular arrow. Tons of people hunt with those arrows. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, a five millimeter arrow that is right at nine grains per inch. I shoot a four hundred grain or four hundred uh, spine, which might be a little under spine for my setup. I, I shoot 66 pounds, but it, it's been fine so far. I have no issues with grouping. Uh, broadhead, though, is a, a QAD Exodus broadhead. 100 grains, the full uh, the, the full blades. They're not the sweeping blades. And the one thing I really about, like about the design of that broadhead is it's one of the lowest profile broadheads on the market. It's exactly, compared to most field points, it's exactly the same length as most field points. So you're not adding any, other, any more length to the broadhead or to the arrow uh, that might affect your flight. And dude, those freaking blades, are, they're, they're 0.04 thickness, which is the thickest blades I've ever shot on any blade. They're very dude, impressive. Extremely very impressive. sharp, hold a phenomenal edge. So I had shot, I, I like to shoot, I, I had been a big, uh, this is the first time I ever shot a fixed broadhead. It's a fixed broadhead, by the way. Uh, it's an inch, inch and a quarter cut. Mm-hmm. I've always shot mechanicals growing up. I've shot, you know, Rage, I've shot NMP kill zones. You know, kill some deer with them, but, you know, I just wasn't getting the penetration I really wanted. I never really had a, a very good pass-through, um, so switch the fix. But really... Well, I, real real quick, I'm going to yeah. jump in and talk about those Exodus broadheads. Um, when we, when uh, me and you did that velvet hunt in Tennessee, on the last day I was there, you shot a raccoon, um, and Jacob... Jacob buried his arrow in a freaking oak tree, okay? And uh, he shot this coon. It was coming down the oak tree, and he buried his arrow in it. I dug the arrow out of there with my pocket knife and, you know, wiggling it out. And when I got it out, that broadhead, I mean, you could not tell which broadhead out of the quiver had been shot. I mean, it was still just razor sharp after burying it in an oak tree. So that was extremely impressive. And I got to say... the next broadheads I purchased are probably going to be Exodus. I was, I was that well, impressed. Also, that was after I had shot that same broadhead in my target, which is where I was going to say next is I'm a big proponent of shooting whatever you're going to be hunting with, guys. Shoot it, practice with it, because you're not shooting de- you're not shooting deer yeah. with field points. Yeah. You know, you have a bunch of expandable broadhead companies that say you know flies like a field point. Well, you're not shooting deer with a field point, so shoot and practice with what you're hunting with. So yeah. ever since seasons came out, I've not shot field points through my bow. I only shoot broadheads uh, through my at my broadhead target. Yeah, but that broadhead, which by the way, by the way, I I used to work in a bow shop and tuning your bow. You've probably heard this, but tuning your bow it, it is the entire reason that your broadhead is not flying like your field points. If your bow is tuned right and you got everything where it should be and everything's, you know, looking good, any broadhead you put on the front of the arrow should fly exactly like your field point. If it's not, your bow's not perfectly in tune, and you need to yep. go fix it. Um, 
But still, I would still shoot those broadheads, like you said. I mean, that's definitely good well, practice. But again, you know, shot that, that same broadhead at the target about 20 times, and it was still stupid sharp. And it's the one broadhead I've ever, uh, the first broadhead I've ever owned that I'm actually, like, scared to handle the damn thing. Uh, part, of, part, part of my language. <laughs> but, like, I've cut myself on it, not even, like, necessarily trying to adjust it or anything. Like, it's just crazy how stupid sharp they are. But it's against like, how thick the blades are, which really holds that edge. Um, but yeah, sh- sh- you know, pull that arrow out of that tree, and that's actually the same broadhead because that's still how sharp it was. I shot that first doe with, um, which unfortunately wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Oh, really? Unfortunately, it wasn't the, the the you know the perfect shot that I really needed. Uh, shot it through the brisket, came out the front mm-hmm. of the shoulder on the opposite side, so that wasn't good. Um, but still, it was a. And I really wanted to find that broadhead again because, to be honest, I got replaceable blades. I was going to at least use, you know, put some new blades on it if it was, you know, dull enough. But I still believe it was super sharp. But that second year I shot with them, dude, I found the broadhead. It was stuck in the ground after she had ran off and pulled out of her. Found the broadhead, and dude, it was so sharp. I nicked my thumb on it, which is why I picked it up because I was checking it for blood, and I, you know, grabbed the front of the broadhead and freaking nicked my thumb. And it was bleeding. I mean, dude, it's still stupid sharp after running thirty inches through a doe. Um, so I was impressed. Dang. That's what I'm saying. Dude. So I'm still impressed. I mean, I'm still going to shoot another deer with it. And it, you know, a lot of guys say like, oh, I'm going to shoot another deer with my broadheads. I'm every mechanical, not dog and mechanicals guys. I, I've been, I've shot mechanicals for years. I've never had a mechanical broadhead that was sharp out of the package. Like not like to the point, like I can run my thumb over it. I'm not worried. Like it's like, I'm like, you know, I guess it'll cut something. You put enough pressure behind it, but you know, just touching it, it's not going to cut me. It's no big deal. These broadheads are stupid, stupid sharp, and that's another reason I like them. But they're they're like shaving. Oh, sharp. dude! I, I mean, yes, uh, it's it's just, it's it's crazy, and it, plus they're they're not super high price. I think they were like thirty eight bucks for three compared to like yours, Andrews, that are one hundred twenty dollars for three. Mine are mine I mean, are stupid, dude. I got mine used; they were still like eighty yes. bucks, and I was just, ah, dude, I, it was dumb. I shouldn't have purchased those. My, the thought process being. You know, the theory behind it's good. It's super high-quality steel. Uh, you won't have to buy any more broadheads because you can just sharpen these. They'll be great forever, which, you know, might have some kind of truth to it. But the downside to that is if I run one of those through a dough and I smack a rock or, like, a freaking – or I just run it into the dirt, you know, I miss a deer, and it gets super dull, It it is so hard to get them back sharp again because they're using a very hard steel to uh, – to, to use to make those broadheads and it's you know machined it's like one piece of metal which is great but you know it's like what I look for in my hunting knives I want a knife that will hold a good edge but I don't want a knife that is so hard you know speaking about the metal that it's made out of I don't want a knife that's so hard that when it gets dull it's gonna take me like four days to get it sharp again <laughs> that's why you get it I want, I want something that's easy to maintain, not something that's so hard that it sucks to try and get it back to where it needs yeah, to be. That's why you need to get a Havilon or get one of those Gerber replaceable uh, blade knives. But anyways. <laughs> Dude, I almost bought one off camo. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's day. where I bought mine. Awesome deals. But anyways, so that's the broadhead setup I use, guys. I, I love it so far. It's performed well. Put a huge hole in that dough. And I, I took I tried to take some pictures of it, but the dog that we used to track it, um, he was all over that hole, like looking at her shoulder. So uh, I couldn't get a good picture. But I mean, it put a serious smackdown. And then it's a three blade broadhead. Um, going towards my release, kind of finish this up. Uh, my release, I use a True Fire thumb release. It's like one of their classic releases. It's not 
super high dollar. It's probably like a $70, $80 release, thumb release. And I've been shooting a thumb release now going on my fifth season and absolutely love it. I don't think I'd ever go back to a trigger release just because I like having my thumb release because I can put it in my pocket, quiet, out of the way, which sometimes can come back to bite you because you could possibly drop it or something like that, which I have done the first season I ever used when I dropped out of the stand while there was a deer in front of me and I had to climb down the stand and get my uh, release and come back up. But I feel like I have better control over it's a more natural draw cycle because you actually, you know, you're grabbing the release. And to me, you have a lot more control coming back with it. And it's a lot more natural to me to use my thumb to like touch it off than necessarily my trigger finger. Uh, but again, that's just me. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. for again, anchor points, I feel, I feel like I have more anchor points when I do that uh, with a thumb release. So that's kind of my setup. Um, real quick, Andrew, uh, you know, if, if there was anything that we haven't covered you know what is something that maybe is like a sneaky a sneaky good product or sneaky good piece of gear that you have that maybe you don't use all the time but the times you have used it has really paid off for you Ooh, man that's kind of a tough one uh i mean just kind of regular gear that kind of everyday gear I would say that my black diamond headlamp is definitely pretty nice. Uh, they're a little bit more pricey than you know your Energizer headlamps that you get at Walmart, but uh, the batteries do last a lot longer in them. They have a lot more settings, and I just feel like you know they they're a lot more efficient with their power. Um, man, the other thing. I'm excited about that's that's a pretty tough question, man. But I'm gonna go with my leaf suit. Um, I don't have a ghillie suit. I don't feel like buying a ghillie suit because they're typically kind of expensive. You know, hundred bucks. That's a lot of money to me, and I, I don't want to drop hundred bucks on a ghillie suit. I've got the top half of a leaf suit, so I'm gonna be using that quite a lot this year. Um, maybe not every single sit, but especially when I get that saddle, I'm gonna have the saddle on and I'm going to have the, the leaf suit on over it, and I'm going to still hunt into areas. And if I find a place that's just absolute dynamite where ground hunting might not be the best idea, I can shimmy up a tree and be in my saddle and hunt out of that. Super lightweight, super easy to use, and the, uh, the leaf suit will definitely be uh, a big part of that puzzle because if I find a spot where ground hunting would be easier, then I'm going to be ground hunting, and to ground hunt effectively, I'm going to be in that leaf suit. So uh, I guess that's my answer. But what about uh, you, Definitely, I, which I need to buy more of. Um, but a good pair of merino wool socks are pretty much, I mean, it's hard to beat them. Not, you know, a lot of guys are, you know, growing up, oh, you got to have wool socks to keep your feet warm. Well, you have merino wool socks. Well, not only keep your feet warm, but also keep your feet cool and keep your feet dry. Uh, which is which is huge. Mm-hmm. So highly recommend guys yeah. getting a good pair, actually a couple good pairs of merino wool socks. So that's number one. Also, uh, my Orion coolers. I absolutely am impressed with these coolers so far. I've been using. Uh, I, I bought the 35 quart and the 65 quart Orion cooler. Uh, which, dude, I mean, for the price point for what they are and the the features that come with them, also ha- having them being made in Tennessee, just down the road from me in Sparta is phenomenal uh i love the quality i've had extreme good success with just them staying cold you know holding ice for roughly five days in my car in the sun and then keeping ice water or keeping the uh the the water ice cold for going on eight days 
uh, was extremely impressive. So I'm excited to put more meat in those. I also I had one doe in my 65, uh, which definitely can hold two deer uh, total with some ice. But um, I'm excited to put a lot more deer and hopefully maybe a bear in uh, those coolers this fall, dude. So extremely impressed with those. Yeah. Um, okay, one more question. Last question, and then we're going to wrap this up. Um, what is a piece of gear that you regret not upgrading for this year? And and if you can't think of one off the Got top it. of your head, I can answer and give you give you some time. But what, okay, what, wait, not yours? upgrading as in like okay, not upgrading that I probably should have upgraded. Um, or just a piece of gear that you wish you had gotten. Okay, in well, one I wish I would have gotten because it, it, it I really do think it helps with keeping your clothes clean, but really keeping them from having to wash it all the time and really deteriorating the clothing is one of these scent crusher dry bags. Um, I know mm-hmm. ozone is pretty controversial, um, but I'll say this guys, if you're out there sweating like I do, I don't care if you're wearing deodorant or whatever, you still smell like BO later. And if you keep or constantly washing your clothes or maybe you just like want to smell like horrible, I don't, I don't like to smell horrible because it makes me feel unpleasant. It's not necessarily for the deer's sake. It's for my sake. Um, so that scent crusher bag, I had to use it for three years and mine finally died on me and I haven't bought a new one yet, but you know, it's quote unquote a dry bag, dry wash bag. You throw your clothes in there, run it th- for a 30 minute cycle. You take them out and they literally smell like you put them in, smell like BO. They come out and they smell nothing. Like it's, it's, it's awesome. And I really do like it because it makes it where I don't have to wash my clothes as much as in like your camo doesn't fade. That's a big part of that. Well, exactly. And you're, you're, you know, stitching on your clothing on your pants and stuff. They don't like wear out and stuff like that. And that, that's a really mm-hmm. big thing for me. And I, that's something I would definitely look at getting. I'm probably going to buy one later on this year. And it's not necessarily for the scent guys alone. It's just so I don't have to dis- like destroy my clothes, washing them, you know, two or three times a week, depending on how much I'm hunting, uh, which, which is huge for me. Yeah. So now what would, what would be something that you wish you would have upgraded that you didn't so far? Hundred and fifty percent. I wish I'd upgraded the scope. On oh the man, uh, dude! Yeah, you you guys, oh, you guys, step up to my level, man. So a little bit of backstory <laughs> on this. Um, you know, me and Jacob, we mainly bow hunt. I love bow hunting. It's definitely my favorite thing. But I'm gonna take the rifle out when I can. I just, I love rifle hunting. You know, I just. As much as I love bow hunting, I equally love rifle hunting. I love sitting out there on a cold morning with a rifle. I love the boom when the rifle goes off. And I have the 7 mag that my mentor gave me uh, as a gift a few years ago. And, um, you know, to go to Wyoming, I assumed that I would need like a like a 4x16 scope. You know, like some crazy powerful scope. And... Um, at the same time, I was broke, so I cheaped out and I got a Vortex Crossfire scope, 4x16 scope, a lot of zoom, crappy glass, guess what? Yeah, it's blurry, it's dark, it's not a very good scope, straight up, it's just, you know, not my favorite scope. Middle of the day, it's fine, you know, it it, it, it works, because you, you know, you can see through the scope, you can see the crosshairs and everything, but... You can't see the crosshairs that well. The crosshairs start getting blurry when you increase the magnitude past, let's say, 13 or so. Uh, between, like, you know, 
13 and 16, the crosshairs are blurry, and you can't tell where you're aiming. And I've showed that to you, Jacob, and we sat there at the range for a long time trying to figure out what was wrong with it, trying to focus it, and we just could not yeah. get it done. And so we were like, okay, this is a 4 by 10 it, scope it, now. Because well, and a little, you know, well, and a little backstory. Blurry. So I'm, I'm a big gun freak, guys, and, you know, we checked the parallax on it. We checked the, the focus ring on the scope, and nothing at all would focus those crosshairs past, you know, at roughly that 10 power. Which which really did suck because I mean you yeah. spent I forgot how much that scope cost I don't, it was like 180 or 200 bucks something like that uh, maybe a little bit maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. but like you know I told you after that because I had I did not buy my scope until you bought that one and I was like you know what I'm gonna you know drop some money on mine because I want something that's gonna be you know quality yeah. something I can trust especially shooting longer distances especially if I have to adjust for it uh, and that's one thing I, I kind of did mm-hmm. um, so I can I can definitely you know relate with you on that aspect plus. Yeah, I mean, dude, that that totally that totally sucked. But, I was gonna say, plus on. you not having the right uh, scope rings was pretty interesting. So, so guys, hold, oh hold, hold on, hold on, yeah. I got to tell my side of the story. And then you, so he came out. Andrew came out to the range. It was me and my cousin. We were out there shooting. My AR had just finished building, uh, precision AR built, and Andrew had come out there with his with his seven man. He got this new scope. He said, "Oh man, you gotta try this new scope out. Oh, it's awesome. This and that." And we're trying to sight in at twenty five yards. He can't even hit. <laughs> A ten by ten piece of paper oh at tw- at twenty five yards. Like, dude, you were shooting. What was it? You were shooting low, or were you shooting high? I can't remember. I was shooting low, like nine. Oh, more than low. that. No, you were shooting like a. My scope was yeah, a foot down. low. Yeah, and he couldn't come up on it. Then we started looking at the side of the gun, and the scope was angled. Was it angled down or was it angled? Up? I can't remember, dude. It was it was angled down. So anybody who's familiar with the Ruger M seventy seven knows that. Uh, it, this, the scope mounts are kind of weird so one of the scope mounts is actually like higher than the other one just because of how the, the gun lays out you know it's not two little mounts that are yeah, the, the same action. length one of them is actually taller than the mm-hmm. other one because uh, of how the action mm-hmm. is shaped and uh, yeah I didn't have the right scope mount. yes so yeah it was <laughs> it was that was a funny funny thing and then we put his scope on my gun we're freaking smoking like you know, quarter size targets at 100, 110 yards, and dude shooting the shooting yeah. dip cans, putting like five holes in a dip can and crap, all kinds. Of, dude, it was it was fun, but yeah. So I, I can relate with that. And I bought two. So guys, we're big fans of Vortex. We have all of our optics are pretty much Vortex, um, which yeah. you know I, I love their product, but definitely the one thing about Vortex, which is good, well, it, it really it is good, is they have a huge variety of products from you know very 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 budget friendly to very, very high end. Like, their high-end scopes compete, and I've heard from guys that are professional shooters that say they excel a lot of other very, very high-end glass companies. Um, but the thing is, you get what you pay for. I mean, it's one of those things, you're not buying a $200 yeah. scope and, th- you know, th- having it perform like a four, five, six, seven hundred dollars scope. Mm-hmm. So I made the jump and bought a yeah. two, well, turned out to buy two later on, Um uh, Vortex Viper HSTs, which is the hunting series scope with in the Viper series uh, with the exposed turrets uh, for adjusting. And I, I've shot them out to, oh, I shot one of my six five Creedmoors out to four hundred yards with it, and do dialing straight onto it, man. It, it's it's phenomenal. Um, absolutely love the scopes. The yeah. low light capability is phenomenal. It's a smaller, more compact than yours, but still a four by sixteen scope. Um, I love it. Freaking love it. So again, you get what you pay for, yeah. man. Get what you pay for. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, you're right. And that that's the issue with that crossfire scope. Uh, of course, the uh, the unfocused um, crosshairs are definitely a big issue. But also, the other really big issue with it was the low light capabilities. So if, if you've been listening for a long time, you've heard me and Jacob ramble on about this big giant buck that came past us when we did a double sit last year. Well, the day before that big giant buck came past us, I saw him on that same trail uh, running a doe. And I had that 7 mag with me with the crossfire scope on it, and he came through, I wouldn't even say right at last light. I mean, he came through when I should have been able to shoot him. And I didn't really get a shot because he was running this doe. But even if he had stopped, I wouldn't have really had a shot at all with that scope because this was the point where... You know, the sun was setting behind this hillside, and this hillside was, you know, getting dark. Still legal shooting light, and, it, you know, with a good scope, it's completely legal and completely ethical to shoot this hillside. But with that particular scope, looking over there, I just, I couldn't make out the crosshairs with the deer, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, you know, the, the hillside's kind of dark, the deer's dark. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out where I was aiming. So even if he had presented a great shot to me, I wouldn't have really been able to take it. And uh, that was definitely the point where I was like, man, I, I really do need to get a new, a new scope. Because, I mean, there it was. It was crunch time. And, you know, it was that one really good opportunity I got last year. And nothing came of it. Um, partly because my scope just wasn't that great. Um, you know, if he had stopped for a while, that would have definitely helped. But... I mean, even if he had stopped and gave me, like, a perfect picturesque shot, I don't know if I could have made it, even if he was just standing completely still broadside, just because that's how, that's how blurry and blacked out my scope was. And the reason I didn't upgrade, I guess, is just because I bow hunt so much, I didn't feel like spending a bunch of money on rifle scope, because uh, I use it pretty rarely. But I'm definitely regretting that. I wish I'd bought a new upgraded scope. So, like you said earlier, buy once, cry once. I'm definitely going to upgrade and get something a lot nicer. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I don't know, that's, that's one thing I would definitely recommend no one to skip on. Like, it's kind of with my binos, too. I, I didn't buy the exact, um, the model, whatever, uh, binos that I really wanted. I really wanted either the, the higher-end Viper or the uh, Razor uh, Vortex binos. Which start out if you get the Viper series, it's, they're like in the mid five hundreds, uh, which that's really mm-hmm. what I wanted to go with. Or maybe if I can get some of the, the the razors on sale, which normally are like starting out at eight hundred dollars, but just to get something that's super 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 crisp, very good low light capabilities. Because I bought the Crossfires, uh, no, I or I can't remember. If it's, no, I think I got the Diamondbacks, the eight by thirty twos, and they're good, but still low light capabilities on them aren't freaking they're not phenomenal by no means um you know it yeah. might be have to do some of it with the you know having a 32 uh millimeter objective uh lens on it but still it's not what i you know what i really think it ought to be and you know at the 200 dollar price point you kind of get what you get um but again I, i'd love to get a pair of either the higher end viper or get the uh, razor uh binos and like a eight by eight by 40 uh would be just perfect um, but again, you, you get what you get and you know, that's what happens. You know, you spend more money, you're going to have a crisper image. You're going to have a lot better low light capabilities and, uh, overall, man, it's going to be a lot more smoother functioning. Um, uh, so, 
But, uh, uh, dude, yeah. I, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, I know we kind of rambled on a little long, but, you know, just kind of talking gear and everything, kind of like, you know, what really helps us do what we want to do and, you know, what we want to kind of change going into the future. Uh, so I hope people hope people kind of yeah. get something out of it. Yeah, I mean, if you're a hunter, you're also a little bit of like a gear junkie because I think that all of us kind of get super into gear at some point, you know. You're definitely more into like the the gear aspect of things than I am, but when I do find something that I'm interested in, I like dive in. I'm like, okay, I have to figure out everything about this, and I have to research everything. So uh, hopefully everyone liked this. If you did like it, uh, it would be super helpful to us if you could like share it uh, with your friends or maybe share it on social media or something and just kind of spread us around a little bit. That's a huge help to us. Also leaving a review on whatever media platform you listen on is a huge help and uh, if you haven't already please go subscribe to the youtube channel we've already got a few hunts up there including our buddy greg broadway closing on his target buck early in the season as the uh, hurricane was moving in so that was pretty cool but uh other than that jacob do you have any concluding no, thoughts that's uh that's pretty much it dude i mean i'm excited for what's going on i definitely think um if i can get out this week dude i've high comments to be able to get another deer on the ground uh but yeah guys another thing make sure you wear your freaking safety harness uh, a buddy of ours uh vernon blocker actually fell eight feet up uh off the ground while he was getting uh, some steps ready uh for his saddle unhooked from his lineman belt fell at fell eight feet belt. broke his pelvis and also punctured his lower back with one of his steps that was hanging off the back of him yeah. So, guys, make sure you're always yeah. wearing your linesman belt and your safety harness while you're climbing tree stands. Uh, I, I, yeah. I think Vernon won one of our Onyx Maps competitions. Yeah, start, yeah, yeah, in the springtime. So, it's sad to see that. Uh, he, he's fine now. I think he just got uh, released from the hospital. It happened uh, yesterday. But, uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's tough to see that happen to somebody you kind of know. And, uh, you, you know, you see pretty yeah. often, especially like it does on social media. So, I mean, it can happen to anybody. So, guys, just stay safe when you're out there. Uh, the most selfish thing you can do is not wear a safety harness because, uh, you know, you're, you're going up there not really caring about yourself, leaving your uh, your family out to dry if something happens. So don't do that. Yeah, always wear that safety harness, man. And You know, Vernon, he was wearing a safety harness, and it was just, you know, a little mistake that, that cost him. And that's something I've honestly been thinking about a lot lately, hanging these stands, running, gunning. Uh, that moment where I'm stepping off the stick and into the stand is always, you know, a very stressful moment for me because I'm not attached to the tree in that particular situation, and there's a lot that could go wrong. And uh, that's, uh, again, another reason I just ordered the saddle because it's a little bit safer. But, you know, every year we need to be kind of reminded just to take every precaution there is because... It, it, it's not worth the risk, you know, not wearing a safety harness. You fall out of that tree, there's no taking nope, it back. Exactly. So, well, once again, guys, not to leave it on a, on a low moment, uh, but definitely, guys, just have fun out there. Stay safe. Again, leave us a review on uh, iTunes if you uh, really are enjoying the podcast. Also, make sure you're following us in, on both Instagram and Facebook. And like Andrew said, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Again, we got a lot of cool hunts coming up, especially Andrew's going to be posting up my video of this bear hunt which was an absolute bust and was absolutely horrible uh maybe you'll hear about that <laughs> maybe you'll hear about that on another episode maybe the buck report who knows but uh andrew if you don't have anything else uh do let's wrap it up man and uh again guys stay tuned for this week for the buck report it's gonna be good
Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.